Hi guys, it's Tara and EJ Kerwin with our Relationship Renovation Podcast. Hi EJ. Hello Tara, happy Friday. Always so grateful to be here recording our podcast. Yeah. Our guest today is Lynn Barrett. She's author of a book that's about to come out. The title of the book is Crazy, Reclaiming Life from the Shadows of Traumatic Memory. And, you know, we've done quite a few uh, podcasts about trauma and Mm -hmm. and helping people understand it externally and understand their own traumas much more. And we just thought that, that Lynn, you would be a a fantastic guest with a, with a great story to tell. So, so hello, Lynn. Hello, Lynn. And thank you for being here with us today. Hello, Tara and EJ. I'm really happy to be here and, and happy that you invited me. Yeah, thank you. Well, I mean, we'd always love to begin just having our audience get an opportunity to know you. So if you could just take a few moments and just, you know, just tell us about yourself. Sure. I am a retired teacher, school principal and pastor. And uh, in my retired life, I have been spending my time writing my memoir, which you mentioned, Crazy, Reclaiming Life from the Shadows of Traumatic Memory. Um, I also lead writer's workshops for people with dissociative disorders. I write a weekly blog and newsletter, and I host two websites. One is my author website, and the other is a dissociative writer's website. I've been married to my um, third husband uh, since 2017, and uh, so it just goes to show you that old folks can fall in love too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Third time's a charm. Yeah, there you go. That's exactly right. Third time is a charm. <laughs> I was married to my first husband uh, and divorced from him. We were married for about 20 years. Um, I lived alone while I was doing significant healing for about 20 years. I married my second husband. And he died suddenly and unexpectedly four days before my our first anniversary. Wow. And I said to everyone, the grief is great, but the gratitude is greater. Mm. He was a wonderful man, and he helped me in my transition. Um, and I have, um, I have four children who are adults, and they live all around the country. Mm. And um, I have five grandchildren and one great-grandchild. So I feel very blessed that I am in the place that I am in now and that I have these wonderful family members surrounding me. Yeah, sounds like your life is very full of love. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly when you were explaining everything from like the beginning of being like a teacher and a principal and a pastor. And and I just and then throughout everything you're doing afterwards now in your retirement, I'm like, wow, what, what a full life, right? Does it feel that way? Uh, yeah, it really does feel like a full life. And uh, maybe that's one of the reasons why I wrote my book. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a that's a great launching point for us. You know, you, you wrote this memoir and, and just tell us a little bit about, you know, why did you write it? You know, what sort of inspired you? Well, thank you for asking that. And it's a little bit of a story. So if you will bear with me. We got plenty of time. In, in, in 1992, and at the time... Golly, my timelines are always a little bit fuzzy. So I was 40-ish years old. I was diagnosed with multiple personality disorder. That disorder is now called dissociative identity disorder, or DID. Mm -hmm. And so for the 10 years that led up to that diagnosis, and the 10 years 
of intense therapy after it. I experienced myself as crazy. I wasn't crazy, but I felt like I was crazy. Mm. So some of the symptoms that I lived with during that time was that I did not feel like I was the me that I knew. Uh, I didn't feel like I was the me that I thought I was. I felt unreal. The places that I were felt unreal. The situations I was in felt unreal. My emotions and my thinking didn't match. I had multiple streams of consciousness that mm. going on at one time that sometimes conflicted with each other. I had body pain everywhere. Uh, you know, I just was constantly in body pain. I had very little memory of my childhood. I would often crawl up into a fetal position and go into what I call catatonia. I'm sure that's not clinically correct, but that's how it felt to me. Mm-hmm. My deep bonds with my children began to ravel, which was extremely painful. And I experienced suicidal ideation almost constantly and, in fact, attempted suicide one time. Now, during all the time that this was happening, I was also growing professionally and spiritually. I had been hired to start a Quaker school. I was the first teacher, then I was their first full-time head. Then I went into public school teaching and I became a, a public school principal. Eventually, I went on to seminary and became a pastor. So these were two very stark realities mm-hmm. that were going on at the same time. I, I was never sure if I was going to live another minute, but I would be out there doing great things professionally. So this is not uncommon with dissociative identity disorder. And I would say to sort of encapsulate it quickly that I spent 10 years of really deep in-depth therapy in order to uncover what needed to be uncovered and to heal what needed to be healed. And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, later. But 10 years after diagnosis and 20 years after I started to decompensate, I integrated Mm. Uh, into one whole. And wow. uh, and so for 20 years, I've been an integrated woman living a, a mostly very happy life. And uh, we can talk more about that later, too. But so as I as I moved towards retirement, I kept thinking, gee, I should write a book about something. And I wasn't thinking about writing it about my life. I, I have had some other really interesting experiences in my life that have nothing to do with DID. And I thought, and I'm a good writer. So I thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to write a book in retirement. And whenever I would think that, my mind would just go blank. You know, it was like, there's nothing to write about. Mm. I don't want to write about anything. There's nothing to write about. And my brain was saying, well, that's crazy. There's lots of things for you to write about. And then I realized that I couldn't write about anything else until I told this story. And so that's what led me to write my memoir, is is to write this story. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really interesting because you said something at the very beginning and then you kind of like came back to like why you why you wrote it and you said like the, you went through this really difficult time and you said it felt like not the me that I knew, mm-hmm. but now you're writing this book, I guess, about <laughs> the, the me you found or the me you came to understand oh, is, you know, is, is that a part of, of putting this book together? Yes, of course it is. Whenever we write a book, and especially when we write memoirs, we come to know ourselves so much better and we can put the pieces together coherently. And the book is about my 
discovery of and recovery from dissociative identity mm-hmm. disorder. So there was a me that I thought I was, and I lost it for 20 years, and I reclaimed it. In addition, I added much more to it as well. So I became myself in the fullest sense of that word, mm-hmm. and I don't want to send the message that that was easy. It was really oh, yeah. hard. But the book is a, it tells some of the really hard things. Uh, but it's a happy ending story mm-hmm. because I am integrated. I am whole. Obviously, we all are healing until the day we die. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not perfect. Always a but, uh, I, yeah, I, I, but I'm so grateful for the life that I live. I'm so grateful that I wasn't successful at suicide. Oh, yeah. And, I want the memoir to be a beacon of hope and inspiration for other people with dissociative disorders so that they can know that there really is hope, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, that if they engage in the work that they need to do to heal, that they can create uh, full lives for themselves. So this is really powerful for me, Lynn, because I work with a lot of trauma and, you know, PTSD, Mm -hmm. complex trauma, postpartum, betrayal trauma, you name it. Um, Mm -hmm. When we do have cases with dissociative identity disorder, we usually refer out to a few specialists in Tucson just because I don't have a lot of practice. But the one thing that you said, which I think relates to like, again, trauma is I'm always talking about integration. And I think a lot of my clients are like, what does that even mean? And so I kind of go into a little psychoeducation around trauma and how our brain kind of fractures, dissociates certain memories, certain traumas. Mm -hmm. And so that like, we just can't feel whole and real. And so I feel like this is going to be such a great podcast for people to understand integration, like fully, because you have said, Tara, I've fully integrated. I am whole after 20 years of being in these little pieces and trying to connect all the puzzle pieces, whatever that means. Yes. Uh And that is also true, Tara. And, you know, I'm glad that you have experience with people and are working with people who have experienced traumas. Not everyone uh, splits apart, uh, you know, as I did with DID. But trauma still has the same effect on people, whether they're in parts or whether they're whole. I would say something about integration because it's something I'm still learning too. So maybe you can give some input on this as well. So when I was in the thick of it, the word was integration. Now today they use the word fusion. Ah. <laughs> and uh, But so what they, they use the word integration now to describe the fact that we integrate all of our memories together. And so all of our parts know each other and they become a part of us. But some people choose not to integrate their their parts and and we call that functional multiplicity they they have uh-huh. healed the effects of trauma but they remain in parts now i don't have a strong opinion on that one way or another but i do want to honor the fact that many uh people with did feel strongly about that and certainly when you're still getting to know your parts you become very attached to them yeah yeah but regardless integration is the word i use too uh and uh and i'm integrated and that doesn't mean that on occasion that a part might break off to share an emotion with me or a thought Mm. but they go right back because they trust me 
Yeah. You know, and, and we are one now. Yes. We don't see each other as, as separate parts. We yeah. are, I'm one person. Mm. I kind of like sideline really quick, but when I was in graduate school, early 20s, I must have been like 23, 24, one of my professors shared that she had, I want to say that was still when it was called multiple personality disorder, dissociative mm-hmm. disorder. And she would let us know, hey, sometimes you guys, if I'm going to be in class and teaching, I might take some pauses because I'm just making my parts feel safe. And that's mm-hmm. what that is. And she gave us like wow. a, and she would do it all the time. And we had experiential groups with her. And it was so amazing to see A, how vulnerable she was with just new students, but then her process through, like she would take a break if something would happen and kind of ground herself. And and then she would let us in on what had just happened. And it was just like very interesting to have a professor be open and vulnerable. And then she also, she's done a ton of research with this too and has written books. But I just had to share that with you that early on, I, I had a professor and she was very open about her process too. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. That's really wonderful because in, in doing that with you, I would assume then that there was no longer that fear factor. So many people are afraid of people with DID. They don't understand it. And so when you don't understand something, you sometimes can be afraid of it. And what she was able to demonstrate to you that it was not anything for you to be afraid of and that she knew how to manage it and that she was taking care of herself first, which is the kind of modeling that we all want to do for for our clients, but also for our families uh, and our friends to show that we absolutely we always take care of ourselves first. So much yeah. more powerful than any theory from a book. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I think what's uh, amazing about your story and this book that you're putting out is that it is a story for people to see that dealing with something incredibly complex in your life what's what's positive about it. I know that we see a lot of people on the front end, you know, mm-hmm. people who who have really kept everything boxed away yes. to protect themselves. I mean, I can think of somebody right now that I'm, I'm working with that they're just considering this idea of going back and unpacking that. And they're also sort of being forced to do it, which which often happens in that, in that it, mm-hmm. it's just not staying wrapped up anymore. And so, I don't know, maybe you can open up a, a little bit about just what the beginning of this process was mm-hmm. like and, and what you would tell somebody out there who who's sort of getting like, wow, I have some really... I have some things from my past that are that I that I just can't contain anymore. Sure, that is that's a big question, isn't it? Because yeah. we all want to have we we don't like change. We want to live the status quo or to have a better life. So it seems almost counterproductive to go backwards into the ugly parts or times of our lives. Why would we want to do that? Who who wants to go there? Exactly. You know, I think it's probably a very normal, natural human desire to not go there. Mm-hmm. And yet, if we have experienced significant trauma, ultimately, we will not have a choice because ultimately that trauma has to come out. (laughs) And it will come out sideways and all kinds of strange ways. And that's why I talk about that first 10 years that led up to my diagnosis when I felt truly crazy. And um, so I guess I also have heard people 
uh, say that I'm afraid to go back there because I'm afraid I'll never come back or I'm afraid that it will overwhelm me or I can't manage it. And I think those are all legitimate fears. But what I want to say is that our bodies usually regulate it to the extent that we can manage. And taking the risk to go backwards and trusting our bodies to tell us what we need to know slowly Mm -hmm. in small doses is really the route to healing and then to having a better life and not even a better life, but maybe a wonderful life. Mm. And, And so it is important. It is worth the risk. And frankly, even so to all of your listeners, even if you don't think it's worth the risk, if it's something that needs to come up, it's going to come up anyway, even if you don't want it to. (laughs) And so it's so much better to cooperate with it rather than to resist it. I mean, sometimes resistance is a good thing, but uh, it's cooperating with it will take us further along the road than, you know, putting, putting up our stop signs. Well, part of your story was also this idea that like for 10 years, you said it Mm -hmm. was just coming up without you trying for it to come up. And yet you were still functioning in many roles within your life. And then once you began to address it and, and seek treatment and help, you were also having to function in many roles in your life. So it's it's not, yes. it doesn't sound like you're saying to people, like you have to shut down the right. rest of your life in That's order right. to deal with this. You know, when I'm working with my clients, my biggest thing is I could be working with them two, three, four years, creating that rapport, building that trust, and then they're ready. Like everybody is so different with yes. their timeline, but you know, it's it's about kind of like when you're ready, And if you're in the hands of a really great therapist who's attuned, you know that there's that kind of nice, like I push gently, but I always meet a client where they're at. And when that happens, they're like, okay, I think we're ready. And then sometimes like even, because I'm more of a cognitive behavioral trauma person, Mm -hmm. um, and we also have a lot of therapists here that do somatic and EMDR, which Mm -hmm. I don't do, but it's like that when they are like, okay, Tara, I feel like I can ground myself. I resource myself enough. Let's do this. But sometimes that can take years and that's okay. That is okay. It takes the time that it takes. Exactly. And we cooperate with ourselves. And I think in many ways it is learning how to trust ourselves, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, And I, so, so, so trusting myself was a really big issue I thought I was a very trusting person mm-hmm. and and people knew me thought I was trusting. You know, I was really good at faking it. I didn't know I was faking it. I right. thought I was a trusting person, but I, I didn't trust myself and I didn't trust other people. And so in working through my own healing, I had to really work on relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in my book, I say that uh, if I was going to become a normal person, which is what my goal was. And of course, I know that now I know there's no such thing as a normal person. But back then, I just wanted to be a normal person. And I thought the world is built on relationships. And so if I'm going to become a normal person, I have to figure out relationships. You know, I have to work on that. And I didn't, you know, I thought 
I trusted people, but the deeper I went, the more I found out that I didn't trust people. So, you know, in terms of working with relationships with others, that I had to work on a relationship with my ex-husband, which was really very difficult because he was in rage mode at the same time that I was in victim mode, Mm. which made it very difficult. Um, And mainly I had to just learn how to protect myself Continue to protect, and set yeah. boundaries and, and, and also to not be a victim all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then there were my children that I needed to really reconcile relationships because they were devastated by what was happening between their mother and their father. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was unable to be as present for mm-hmm. them as I would have wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are two big relationship places that I had to work on, but I want to really highlight my relationship with myself and with my parts. So, and, and, and maybe some of your listeners might not relate to the idea of parts, but in reality, we all have parts. We Absolutely. don't all have parts that are created through trauma, but mm-hmm. we do all have parts. Yes. And so we all, we, we need to get to know one another and to trust one another and and to believe one another and that was that in in dissociative identity disorder that is the largest or the most important piece in healing in my opinion and that is to learn who we are with all our many parts mm-hmm. to learn to love who we are even the parts of us that are not not the nicest parts, you know, mm-hmm. we have parts that are angry or that are filled with rage. We have parts that are manipulative. Mm-hmm. We have all that. We have to get to know all that. And it's mm-hmm. it's in knowing those parts of ourselves that we can heal ourselves. And um, we resist that. We, you know, I, I didn't believe it. You know, I thought, oh, I'm just making this all up, you know. Yeah. And yet I fortunately had a therapist who, who did believe me, even though I didn't. And she she wanted to talk to my parts. She welcomed them even when they came into the room loaded for bear, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, somebody would come in and say, ah, I'm miserable, I'm mean. And she'd say, oh, welcome, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. <laughs> because she would say, these are all hurt parts of you. Compassion, these are hurt children. yeah. So we welcome those hurt children and help them heal and either grow up or grow into us. Um, it's actually nice to have some child parts inside of us because it makes us filled with wonder and and possibilities and openness but not when we reject them as parts of us so um so anyway i i I wanted to talk about those things in terms of relationship because i think and in terms of trust that we we have to we learn how to trust ourselves gradually over time it doesn't happen overnight and to um Mm-hmm. And, and to trust all the parts of us. Yeah, I think that's that's completely yeah. relatable to everyone because you're right, we all have different parts of ourselves. And as we mature and we be, and you know, we go throughout life, we have moments where where we have to just sort of look at different aspects of ourselves and then when we're in relationship with somebody, there's this really difficult sort of balancing act between like figuring out these parts of ourselves 
and then figuring out whether or not we feel comfortable exposing them to our partner. How do we talk to that partner, yes. to our partner about it? Are they going to accept it? Are they going to reject it? Are those parts that we were like, hey, I got to, this is a part of me I got to deal with. And if they don't want to deal with it, you know, how do we do that work in relationship? It certainly helps to have a counselor too mm. that's in that process. So you have somebody kind of like, that's not involved, you know, sort of assisting you in your personal work. But ultimately you do have to sort of figure out like, how do I present this to my partner? Like, you know, how do we deal with it together? And and one thing I always talk to my clients, couples about is if you don't have compassion for those parts, there is no way you can help your partner have compassion for those. That's the hardest, one of the hardest or biggest challenges in my work is like at the end of every session, I'll have a client or a couple say something positive, say something compassionate about themselves. And it is so hard for people. Yes. So hard. And I said, like, you have to understand this inward compassion has to be the first step. That's the part of acceptance. Then it can start to kind of, you know, melt into the relationship. Yes. And I think that as your work is primarily in in relationships, that is really a challenge. And I value my relationships so much. And I have worked so hard (laughs) to reconcile and heal them. At the same time, I want to say that I, I learned very early on that I would rather be alone than with the wrong person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that's why I was alone for 20 years. (laughs) Yeah. Because I was healing myself and and I was also preparing myself so that I would be ready for someone who was also as healthy as I had become. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, so that is maybe a little bit of wisdom that may or may not be helpful for people, but I think that if we cannot take care of ourselves in the relationships that we're in, then we do have to relook at those relationships and decide what is most advantageous for our own health so that we can we can continue to to grow. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Emotional safety so important. I think it's hard especially if you're in a moment of like internal crisis though to to have good insight into like okay is my relationship not safe is it you know mm-hmm. is, is whatever is is uh, dysfunctional within my relationship is it just a product of both of our unhealed wounds and and what we each haven't integrated from our past and how we haven't differentiated from our family of origin or is it that the is right. it wow this is just a you know a is not the right relationship for me, you know, is, or this is a person mm-hmm. who's not, mm-hmm. doesn't want to grow and doesn't want to look at their past and doesn't want to heal themselves. You know, it's just really hard in those moments to find clarity around, around that question. Yeah. And I, I want to share also that my husband and I, we've been together for six years. I'm 74 and he's 73. <laughs> so we're these old fogies, you know, <laughs> who are figuring this all out. And and it's been wonderful. We've had some, uh, I've had some triggers um, mm-hmm. that always come when you're in an intimate relationship. Absolutely. But because of all the work I had done previously, I knew how to manage my triggers. Mm-hmm. And, and 
in that, I've also been able to teach him how to, to do the same thing, you know. And uh, so he, we are a really good fit together. And um, I have all the emotional intelligence, and but he's got a scientist brain, and he can yes. analyze and pick <laughs> things apart and put them back together again. And and sort of together, we because we love each other, and because we we respect each other, and we really value this relationship. We work together, even through hard times where we don't agree or where he doesn't understand what's going on with me or when I think he's too much in his head. And then he always surprises me. He really can come out of his head and go into his heart. And, you know, so um, I think that a really good relationship enables both parts of the couple to grow and to mirror back to each other, you know, the best parts of ourselves. So, um, you know, that's, that's the upside of a very long and difficult challenge with relationships that, you know, now it's, it's just wonderful. Mm -hmm. You know, we do a lot of work around attachment theory and in our program that we developed, our couples, they come in and there's infidelity and there's Mm -hmm. really poor communication and there's intimacy issues. And they're like, we just need to focus on these. And we're like, well, hold on a second. This is kind of what we do when we do an entire genogram and go back three Mm. generations. And then we do a whole timeline from birth until up until they met. And then we do an entire relationship timeline to talk about unhealed moments. And they're, you know, they're so like, no, no, we just got to get to this. And we're always like, well, this happened because the past affects us and it significantly Mm -hmm. impacts our intimate relationships. Mm -hmm. And once we support our clients, couples, understanding that a lot of negative core beliefs and ways we protect ourselves as children play out in these adult relationships, they actually have that, oh my gosh, I actually have, because you're saying like, we understand our triggers now, but so many people don't, Lynn. It's like, you know, you Mm -hmm. you get triggered and you blame your partner and you're like, how dare you make me feel this way? And we slow it all down and it takes yeah. a few months and and people have to be in this place even ready for it because they just don't understand how much the past impacts the present. And I guess it's kind of going into like, you know, how you learned and was and understood how the past affects the current and it just, you know, the work that you did, which is now giving you the ability to understand what's really happening in those moments. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I say to my husband, if I've been triggered, you know, <laughs> when you do this, this is how it makes me feel. Mm-hmm. But I know this isn't really about you. <laughs> this is about me <laughs> and what happened to me, you know, and it, it actually took a while. For, I could say that, but I would still feel like, oh, well, he's yeah. he, he was terrible. He shouldn't have said that. Yeah. But at least I could put it into words. And now we're at the point where I really don't mm-hmm. feel that he was at fault in any way. I do understand that it's totally something. That yeah, I, not intentional. You give them the benefit yes. of the doubt. Yes. Yeah. I wanted to mention something about the past and the present, uh, about reenactments, that when we have experienced... Um, certainly when we've experienced trauma, but even when we've experienced just a dysfunctional family and all of our families are at least a little bit dysfunctional. If we, if we don't do the work to unearth what happened and how, how it made us feel then and how it makes us feel now, we are likely to reenact as adults without realizing it and being totally unconscious about Mm -hmm. it. So 
for instance, if if your parents' way of dealing with conflict was yelling at each other all the time, and and you just stuff it because you just don't want to hear that yelling and you forget about it. And then as an adult, you may find yourself repeating those patterns or going to the opposite extreme. So we may start yelling at our partners because it's the only way we know how to handle disagreement. Mm -hmm. Or we may pull back and and get quiet and refuse to engage because we just don't want to engage. And both of those are... That's kind of the fight flight mm-hmm. <laughs> dichotomy, you know, but it comes from what happened in the past and and but what we've forgotten about and and now we just reenact it in the present and i I would share around the issue of trust for me that the center of my system was a little two three year old girl named Rosie mm-hmm. and Rosie's m o was trust. She trusted everybody. And as an adult, I got into all kinds of trouble with trusting people that I shouldn't have trusted, including my first husband. Mm. But when we unearthed all of that, what I discovered was that Rosie would crawl up into his lap and he would hurt her. Mm. And then she would crawl back down and give the hurt over to another part of me. Mm -hmm. So she wouldn't even know it existed. And then she could crawl up into his lap again, again, so he could hurt her again. So it was this, it was this really uh, abuse loop, where she kept going up and and trusting him, even though he was teaching her over and over again that he couldn't be trusted. She kept going back, and so the way mm-hmm. I managed it had to do with my dissociative identity disorder. But that's the sort of thing that all of us can do, even without DID. And I said in my memoir, I said, I thought I trusted them, but my trust was a stand-in for need. I didn't authentically trust anyone. So it was important for me to unearth that and to understand that, no, no, you're not a trusting person. You think you are, but you're not. Mm. And, And let's work through that and learn how to identify who's trustworthy and how to navigate that and how to begin to grow real trust over time. Yeah. I think that's just like an incredible story of just how the process of therapy gives you the opportunity just to understand more deeply processes that that you're just stuck in and you just don't know they're even happening. And it gives you a way where to conceptualize it and understand it and see it. And then you have choice, you know, and th- and I think that's what what people love about the therapeutic experience when it when it ends up going in a positive direction is is they gain that insight and then they can choose like okay, well, I actually might be able to do things slightly differently, and and it's just an, I got to imagine for you that was an incredibly powerful understanding and then probably a pretty empowering yeah you know launching point to to doing things slightly differently. Yes, definitely. Well, you know, I I think like one thing that would be important for us to make sure you you say is, you know, when when people write a book, there's a reason they're writing it. You know, there's there's something that like they're like, you know, I just want to make sure that people hear. And so, you know, is there something about your about your book, whether it's about dissociative identity disorder or trauma or your life that you're just like, you know, look, this is why you want to pick up my book and why you want to read it because th- this is what I what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> 
Well, you want to pick up my book and read it because it's a page turner. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm so excited to get it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it reads a little bit like a novel. So I've been told that it's a page turner. So I've been, I've edited it so many times. My mind is a little numb from it. But, you know, (laughs) uh, when people pick it up for the first time, that's what the feedback I've heard from many people. But um, what I want to leave your listeners with is just a little better understanding of what DID is yes. because it is a sensationalized disorder. Yes. And there you. are so many misconceptions about it. And I would like to just take a minute to explain it. And in the book itself, you learn that through the story that I tell. But here on your podcast, I will just encapsulate it very quickly. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, So dissociation is actually a normal bodily function. Um, We can dissociate when we're bored in a lecture hall staring out a window Mm -hmm. and we just are disconnected our mind from our body. Or if we're doing some repetitive activity, we just get so into it that we are not even aware of the connection between our mind and our body. Those are normal functions of dissociation, but dissociation also can help protect someone who's experiencing trauma so they're not connecting their mind and their body. So I know you work with people with PTSD. We know that um, war veterans and rape victims experience dissociation because the pain of the trauma Mm -hmm. is too much to bear in the moment. And so you sort of separate it through this function of dissociation. With dissociative identity disorder, it's the very same mechanism, Mm -hmm. but it happens in a very young child before the age of six to eight, uh, but often much younger than that, what we call chronic abuse or trauma, when it happens over and over again. At this age, the child's brain is not yet fully formed And so the the natural separations that have not yet been integrated in a child's brain begin to take a more, a stronger form. So so that there are partitions, amnesic walls that Mm -hmm. grow between different emotions or different temperaments or uh, different functions. So a little child relies on their caregiver. They they would die if they didn't have right. a caregiver. If their caregiver is is abusing them, it's an impossible situation, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. they need that caregiver. Mm-hmm. So it's functional for them to actually partition off the memory of abuse. Right. So they can go back out there and trust their caregiver. Yep. And and so that's what happens. It's functional in childhood. But when we become adults, it's no longer functional. First of all, we're not in danger anymore. But secondly, these memories are all stuffed somewhere in our bodies. And eventually our bodies will release them in ways that are difficult, painful, sometimes curious. Um, Most people who have DID have what we call covert DID. I think it's about 95% which means that you would never know. It's not this flamboyant mm. switching between right. parts. It's very subtle. And unless you were in an intimate relationship with the person, you would never know. Mm-hmm. We call it the hidden disorder for that very reason, because dissociating as a small child, the whole purpose is, is to keep the, the knowledge of the abuse away from the child and from wow. everyone else. 
And so we are very secretive. I am just coming out now. I work with uh, women and men who are uh, brilliant people, and they're people in high levels of field, including psychotherapy, who don't tell people because mm-hmm. uh, because they've been programmed not to tell mm-hmm. people, you know? Yes. So the good thing I can leave people with about dissociative identity disorder is that it is treatable and um, that with a therapist who will engage in talk therapy, will engage with your parts or alters, will believe you even when you don't believe yourself. Yes. Uh, you will gradually grow in trusting yourself. Uh, you'll gradually grow in trusting your therapist. And then gradually you'll begin to learn how to trust people who deserve your trust as an adult. So I, yeah. there's lots, loads more I could share on DID, but that's probably the 101 <laughs> yeah. crash course. And hopefully that's helpful for people. And then I, because I kind of work through attachment theory lens, it's like you go from a disorganized yes. attachment to a secure attachment with the help of your therapist, because you start yes. to feel safe and you start to recognize like I'm seen and my needs are important and I have needs and someone actually cares about those needs. And yeah, so what, I know this is kind of like a loaded question, but now that you are integrated and you feel a whole, what does life look like now, Lynn? (laughs) (laughs) Or feel like? I'm a happy person, you know? I live up here in the Adirondacks for beautiful uh, seven months a year and five months a year we go to Florida. My daughter and her husband and two children live three blocks away. Mm-hmm. Um, I have other children on the other side of the country and grandchildren in retirement. I'm also I'm, I'm the chairperson of our local economic development committee. <laughs> you know, I get to do all kinds of things and life is really happy. Right now it's busy because of um, the publication mm. and all that goes with that. But I am very grateful. I want to say I am extremely grateful to my therapist to whom I dedicated the book. Mm. And I say that here in front of you because the work that you do is as therapists is so critical Mm -hmm. and you described it beautifully Tara when you said that as people start to work with you they learn that somebody really cares about Mm -hmm. them and they learn that there's someone they can trust and without therapists like you we would be on our own and it's it, it and then I think it would be up for grabs as to how whether or not we could make it through adulthood. But um, with a good therapist, we can do it. I think the good news for for anyone out there who's struggling with a trauma-related struggle is that now, probably more than ever, there have been the most interventions, therapists with the most skilled in supporting somebody, um, a lot of interventions that are that are really well researched. You know, treatment of trauma right now is is such a huge focus in our field, and people are doing it very responsibly yes. and doing it with a lot of research backed approaches. And that just you know, even ten years ago, I think there was a lot more kind of grasping in the dark and how to support people yes. around trauma, and we really understand it a heck of a lot better. And we are so grateful yes. to have you on the show today to hear somebody who has gone through it and has worked through it. And, you know, as you just said, you said, I'm a, I'm a happy person. And, you know, I mean, that ultimately at the end of the day, isn't that what everybody is trying to get towards is just, exactly. you know, being yes. happy. That and using your story to help others and normalize and know that 
there is a light at the end of all these different tunnels. Like that is, that's a huge piece. And so grateful for that story. Yeah. It's a huge piece. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to um, just uh, give a plug. um, Sure, please. One more time. Um, It's Crazy Reclaiming Life from the Shadow of Traumatic Memory. It will be published on January 3rd, uh, 2022. You can purchase it from Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And it is on pre-order right now. And um, I hope some folks will think that it's a a book they want to take a look at because you'll learn a lot from it, I think. I also want to mention that if there are any folks out there who are struggling with a dissociative disorder and are interested in writing, I offer uh, free writer's workshops. Uh, We meet every other week and uh, on Zoom. And it's it's been wonderful. Mm-hmm. We have gifted writers, but also very brave people who come together and, and share with each other. So that you can also find on my website, www.lynnbarrett.com, L-Y-N-B-A-R-R-E-T-T.com. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank what, you for What sharing. wonderful resources, too. Yeah. And we're going to do a book giveaway, right? Yeah, we're going to organize uh, some sort of a book giveaway. You know, our listeners can check out relationship underscore renovation as our Instagram. And the Facebook is at, at he, he Said, said She said, said Couples. And then, as always, we'll make sure that Lynn's uh, information that she just stated is mm-hmm. in our show notes as yep. well. So you can go there to get the link to her book and to more information about her writing workshops. That will also be in our newsletter, too. So when it all comes out, yes. Yeah. Thank you, Lynn. This has been just uh, really enriching and just really, really positive experience for us. Thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing your story. I just feel very hopeful for the work I do, but the people that are going to be listening to this. So thank you so much, Lynn. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, thank you everybody out there who, uh, you know, tunes in. We appreciate you as listeners. It's always great if you can just, you know, tell a friend, you know, have somebody else tune in and hear it. We know, you know, these stories, the insights we share, the insights our guests come on and share, Mm -hmm. they're helpful. They really, they improve people's lives. So please just share it if you like it. Absolutely. And as always, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. So happy that you are tuning in today. Bye-bye. Me and you just singing on the train. Me and you listening to the rain. Me and you, we are the same. Me and you have all the fame we need. Indeed, you and me are we. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.